if you were here seven years ago and you can remember this, I'll give you a dumb, dumb sucker afterwards. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> when Pastor called me last night, he said, uh, oh, I feel like that's really loud. He said, uh, how do you feel about being able to preach? Should I cancel the service? Should you preach? I said, well, I may have to pull up the archives. And uh, I went looking through some old sermons and things, and the Lord actually brought this one to mind. And um, it actually felt, it seemed fitting anyways. We're coming up on the end of another year. And uh, so some of the things in here just kind of came out, and I rewrote a few things and did a few different things to it. But... Uh, so this is what the Lord brought out, and I uh, hope it's a blessing for us this morning. Philippians chapter 3, in my opinion, is one of probably the more familiar passages in Scripture. Really, the book of Philippians, it just seems like, for whatever reason, it's a very commonly preached passage. There's a lot in here that Paul talks about when you look at Philippians 1 and Philippians 2. But Philippians 3 has several verses that I can remember even as a young, uh, uh, young boy, teenager, into, into Bible college, and then as an adult, these verses just constantly being verses that would come up on memory lists or verses that you should know and that you would hear preach. And so <clears throat> these are probably going to be common verses and a common passage to us this morning, but I just hope to encourage us a little bit on this idea of pressing on. And there's a word that is used here in verse number 14, the word press, uh, that we're going to examine just a little bit. And then we're going to just kind of do a little expository look at chapter 3 here on some things that, that Paul is bringing out to the Philippian church and to us as believers today uh, that I hope would encourage us as just this thought about pressing on. What does it mean to press on? And so we're going to start this morning, and we're going to read this whole chapter. So I know it's 21 verses, so I trust you'll bear with me. We'll follow along verse by verse here and just read this for our context this morning. And then again, a lot of these verses we'll look at uh, individually as well and bring out some, uh, some different points. But let's read Philippians 3, 1. You can follow along as I read it here. Verse number 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things." For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things <clears throat> unto himself. Let's have another word of prayer here before we get into this. Lord, we do thank you for our time and thank you for your word. And we thank you for uh, what is written here uh, by your inspiration through the Apostle Paul. Uh, to deliver to us today some 
uh, uh, truth uh, from your word that we should uh, meditate on and think on. And I just pray, Lord, that it would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The word press there in verse number 14, he says, I press toward the mark. The word press in the Greek is this word dioko. And the word press means to make, to run, to flee, to put to flight, to drive away. It can also mean to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing, to run after, to press on figuratively if one who is in a race runs swiftly to reach the goal, to pursue. In another way, it can mean what to harass, trouble, to persecute, to seek after eagerly, earnestly, endeavor to acquire. When I think about this word press, I think about right now, uh, a few of the boys here, Johnny, Chris, and Adam are playing uh, basketball for, their, for Tri-City Christian Academy. Their season started a couple weeks ago with practice, and then Tuesday night they have their first official game. I know they're excited for that. And so they're looking forward to now games starting up, and, and they get to play. And uh, this year in particular, that the last two years, they have won the state championship. So they are back-to-back champions. And this year, they are favored to probably win a third one. So they very well could win three state championships for basketball. That's pretty unheard of. That's pretty cool. But this year in particular, compared to any other year, is going to be a little bit different in that they have really almost no height on the team. The tallest guy on the team, I believe, will be 6'1", maybe 6'2". And he is not much of a big man. He actually plays more like a guard, is what he would prefer to play. Johnny will be our, our, our second biggest man on the team, at like six foot, right? About six foot. Uh, and Johnny's going to be asked to play a pretty big position. He's going to be playing down low a lot. So they're going to be what people would consider an undersized team. But one of the things that the last two years, and especially this year, that is an advantage for them is their speed and their quickness. And they have a lot of guys on this team that are fast, quick, aggressive. And one of the things that the coach, the last two years, now he left and he's coaching actually out of college in Wisconsin, so his brother is now the head coach. But one of their things about the philosophy is to play really, really aggressive defense. And even talking to him this year, he said, one of the things we will probably do is a lot of pressing. So when you think about pressing in basketball, you you can call it a full court press, you can call it a half court press. There's a few different ways you can do a press. But the idea of a press is the idea of applying pressure immediately on the ball once it is inbounded. Once the ball is passed inbounds by the other team to to their guard or whoever they pass it in, there is immediate pressure that is put on the ball and it is unrelenting pressure. It is not a soft defense where the guy dribbles up and you're just kind of monitoring him. It is in his face. You say, we just tell him, get all over his grill, right? That's what we say, get all over his grill. And they're in their face. And these guys will probably be yelling, blah, 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 blah. They'll be slapping the floor. They'll be, and then and, and if that guy gets by him, the next guy's right up there on top of him to trap him and to try to, and they call it a full court press. And the idea is to get the team to hurry, to make a mistake, to turn over the ball throw the ball out of bounds, make a bad pass, make a bad shot, whatever it is, you press and you press and you press. It is unrelenting. And honestly, it is one of the funnest things to not only do in basketball, but then to watch. I love watching these boys get after a team when they can, they can see, okay, they're not going to be able to break our press that well. Let's just go after them. And they just apply this press onto these teams. It is so fun to watch that and the aggression and the uh, and, and the 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 unrelenting energy that they'll give out on that court to get that ball. Because their goal is if you have the ball, you have a chance to score. But if we have the ball, you can't score. And, of course, what's the goal of basketball, really like any other sport? is to score more than the other team, right? And so there's this unrelenting uh, energy and this. It's just it's really, really fun to watch. Do you know that that thought and that picture of a guy playing defense so ferociously that he is not going to let that guy get up and down the court. He's not going to let the guy move. He's going to pressure and pressure until he can take that ball. It's really the exact same word that Paul is using right here in Philippians chapter 3. When he says, I press toward the mark, Paul is not saying, you know, I just kind of get through life. He's not saying, Yeah, you know, I've kind of got a goal in mind, and if I get to it, I'll get to it. 
Yeah, you know, if everything works out and everything aligns in my life and I can get to what I'm aiming for, then great. The word that Paul is using, that this Greek word dioko, has the same meaning of this intense, unrelenting pressing for something. This energy that he has. Paul is basically saying, I have an energy in my life. I have something that is so fervent in my life that I press towards it. I give everything I have to get that goal. I give everything I have to get that ball. I give everything I have to accomplish that thing that is before me. And for him, it's the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a spiritual prize he is seeking. And he is unrelenting in that. He has just this fervency about him. And you know, when I read that and I think about that and the idea of I myself was not a tall basketball player. I wasn't, as you can imagine. I didn't shrink since high school. Uh, I was not a very tall basketball player. The one main strength I had was to play defense and to play hard, hard defense. And I loved it when a guy would come out on the court and he's like 6'1", and they'd be like, Adam, you're going to have to guard that guy. And I thought, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. And he looked at it and thought, I'm going to dominate, right? Like, that's what he thought. And, I, I, I mean, no boasting or anything, but honestly, just high, intense energy and, and, and defense often would throw these guys off their game. And they get really frustrated, and they get really mad at me. I had guys at the, at the park, we play pickup ball, and they'd swear at me or get upset at me because I would steal from them or I would do things. And I just loved that. And I thought... Boy, as much as I enjoy watching that or even doing that in basketball, and oh, I love getting a steal and I love making a basket and I love pressing on someone where they get so frustrated they can't really do what they want in their game. I thought, how much do I press in my spiritual life? How much do I press in my spiritual life? How much fervency actually exists to grow spiritually? How much fervency and energy do I put into every day to say, I need to press towards being like Jesus Christ. And all my intensity, all my energy, and whatever I do today, whatever I speak, whatever I think, whatever I do, should be towards that aim. How much do I do that? I know I do that for projects at work. I know I do that for different things with my kids and things that we need to get done or do. Right now, we've got to do the senior boutique for Adam this week. I'm so thankful that in a week from now, it'll be over. Amen? And uh, Miss Sonia, she is just up late and doing all these things to try to price all these things because he gets to sell this stuff for school because we want him to make us some money. And so <clears throat> it's actually for him for his senior trip. But anyway, so, but man, it is like unrelenting right now. It's like price, 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 price. Like we're just pressing to get this thing done. We press for things every single day, whether we realize it or not. We are all pressing for something. We are all giving our energy and our, 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 our activity and our attention to something each and every day. And I just wonder how much of us are pressing like Paul was pressing towards something much greater than making a basketball into a hoop or even getting a job promotion or even uh, paying off some debt or even uh, uh, raising our kids. As much as those things are important and have great value, do I press so much on those things and yet how much do I press How much energy do I put into my spiritual life? Do I eagerly just keep fervently fighting for it and pushing for it? You think about how uh, Satan is described in 1 Peter 5.8 that he uh, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know Satan is unrelenting and constantly pressing to ruin the lives of Christians, to keep people that are lost from coming to Jesus Christ. Satan is unrelenting. He presses over and over and over again. Do we press? What are we pressing towards? I think about some terms in in Scripture. These same words uh, uh, are are similar in the Hebrew in the Old Testament and then some other words that are used in the New Testament. In Exodus chapter 14, you have the idea of Pharaoh. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then as the Israelites are leaving, it says he pursued The word pursued is really the Hebrew version of this word press or dioko that's in uh, the New Testament. But the word pursued, think about what Pharaoh did. 
When Israel was leaving and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, he said, no, I'm not going to let them go. I, mean, I got to go get them back. Did Pharaoh just rally up 10 or 12 soldiers and say, listen, let's ride out. If we can catch them in time, we'll convince uh, Moses to come back. No, I think we could all by Scripture very clearly picture that Pharaoh took his entire army, uh, at least a large volume of his army and military and chariots and strong horses and weapons and everything he had. And when it says pursued, it means they rode as fast as they could. It means they gave every they could, everything they could to overcome them. They weren't just, uh, let's try to cut them off. It was everything they had. That word pursued is the exact same thought that Israel is out here and we're behind them and we're going to do everything we can to get to them and we're not going to stop until we do. And sure enough, it led to their demise at the Red Sea because they're even still willing to pursue through a parted Red Sea that ultimately destroyed them. The same is in Matthew chapter 5, the word persecuted. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, bless them which persecute you. The word persecute is the same thing. Someone that is unrelenting. Uh, uh, Paul himself, when he was said, uh, when Jesus on the road to Damascus said, why persecutest thou me? The word persecute is again the same word as this dioko. It is the idea of someone that is unrelenting. Think about the life of Paul. Paul even says it here. He said in verse number six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You know, Paul, the first half of his life or even longer, he had a zeal, he had a press to his life, but it was a press for persecuting the people of God. And now Paul is saying, I am now a believer in God, and that zeal, that uh, desire, that earnestness is now no longer to persecute the things of God, but to show the things of God and to bring the gospel to people and to do the things that Christ would want me to do. He took that that fervency that he used to have to persecute the church. And he said, now I, got, I want to do something different with it. And he took that same energy and it's now to further the things of Christ. If I say the name, uh, let me make sure I say this, Louis Zamperini. Does anybody know who that is? Louis Zamperini. Does anybody know the name of the book or the movie that was made about him? Unbroken? Unbroken. So I won't take the time to tell the whole story of the life of Louis Zamperini, but just in, in a nutshell, and uh, I hope not to get too many things wrong here, but Louis Zamperini was basically, uh, he grew up in poverty, he grew up a very uh, uh, poor uh, uh, man, and eventually, later into his teen years, realized he had some athletic ability. He had some skill. He began to run, and he realized he ran this race in high school, and he got to the end, and he finished, and he didn't even remember running the last quarter mile. I mean, he was just running so fast, and he ended up winning this race in high school. And he didn't even remember running some of it. He looked back and said, did I cut corners? Did I, did I cheat? Because he said, I don't even remember getting here. And it ended up being that he was such a fast runner, he ended up making it to the Olympics to represent uh, the United States in the, oh, I think it was the 1937 Olympics? 1936? 1936 Olympics where he ran, he didn't win any medals, but he ran, and he even got the attention of, of Hitler uh, during those Olympics. And so he was into this athletic stuff. He began to really, really pursue and press towards being athletic, and then he ended up going into the military. And the main story that people know about Luis Zamperini is that he ended up, uh, his plane ended up crashing, and he spent 47 days out in the ocean. He spent 47 days and uh, was eating fish that he could catch, filtering, trying to drink salt water. He's trying to do whatever he could to survive. He spent four, 47 days only to then be captured by the Japanese. And he spent two years in prison camps with the Japanese and endured a tremendous, tremendous amount of persecution and, and, and torture. In fact, there was one guard who had the nickname of the bird. They called him the bird. And for whatever reason, his, his attention went to uh, Lewis. And, uh, and he would basically daily beat Lewis. There were times that they, and this is in the movie you, and in the book, they made him put this log on his shoulders. And they said, if you drop that log, uh, everybody will be beaten. And he held the log up for like 37 minutes. And they would come and hit him in the stomach and do everything he could to try to get him to drop this log. And he was relentless. He was fervent 
to not drop that log. And he went 37 minutes until finally they hit, beat him so much he just couldn't help it. He had to drop the log. There was times where all 220 other prisoners were told that when you walk by him, you have to punch him. And if you don't, you're going to yourself be punished. So all 220 other inmates would walk by him and they would make him stand there and each of them would punch him in the gut or punch him in the face. Just a tremendous amount of beatings and persecution this guy, uh, Luis, took and endured. And uh, it went on for two long years. But you know what? Eventually, the tide of the war began to change, and they began to uh, overcome, and they, they went and they released, and they found him as a survivor of this time of two years. He ended up being released and brought back home. And of course, there was this huge celebration, and there was this, and of course, you can see the movies, and you can see the books that have been written, and this tremendous uh, rescue of the life of Luis Zam Zamperini. And you can go on, and you can, uh, if you think about it, and you listen to some of his early, when he first got out, and he thought, and you, you hear about, how did you even deal with that? There's this idea of this pressing. He just kept enduring and pressing with one goal in mind, which was to get out which was to get out. And he endured whatever he had to endure. He went through whatever he had to do, but he was unrelenting to press on and to pursue getting out of this prison, getting out of these conditions so that he could go back home. And he eventually did. And he went back home. And that is the idea that is being given here by Paul. It's just this unrelenting, whatever comes my way, whatever uh, difficulties, whatever struggles, whatever hardships, whatever it is, I am going to press, which means to not waver, to press on. And that's what Paul is saying here. And again, I just wonder, what is our mentality towards our spiritual life? This guy, Lewis, uh, is just thinking about his physical life. This wasn't spiritual in nature. He wasn't a believer. Now, I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a little bit. But at that time, he was not a believer. So what was causing him to press on? Just the temporal things of life. I just want to save my life. But he was willing to press on and endure. This morning, let's look at this. We're going to go back through this chapter. I just want us to look at five phrases that Paul uses that really bring out this thought of uh, pressing on or pursuing. What are we pursuing? And I think there's five things here that Paul himself identifies that we ought to pursue in our lives, that we ought to make an area that we are willing to press on in. And I think, I think these five things would help us today on just how do, I, how do I press on towards the things of Christ? How do I press on towards that prize that, that Paul is talking about? And I think these five areas uh, could help us this morning as we pursue the things of Christ. Number one here, uh, look at verse number, uh, let's just go back and we'll read verses Four through eight. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he whereof he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Again, Paul is just basically saying, if anybody has anything to brag about their lineage or their heritage or what they have in the flesh, I, I, I can brag more than anybody. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. I was as good as it could get on the Hebrew side of things. I mean, nobody can have a better resume than what Paul had. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. I did everything that the law told me to do. I was blameless. I was basically a perfect Hebrew. Again, in man's eyes. But he says this in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That phrase there, that I may win Christ. Paul, number one, pursued proper priorities in his life. Paul had the, uh, was pursuing and pressing towards the proper priorities now in his life. <clears throat> he tells us what his first priorities were as he was growing up, right? I need to be a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I need to be a a Pharisee, I need to follow the law and be righteous of man's law, and I need to be blameless in man's law. And I did all those things, great. But he said, I count all those things as loss. Why? Because what's his new priority? 
Forget all that stuff of the flesh. Forget all the things that I could claim. You know, some of us in here maybe have great resumes. I don't know. Maybe you've got a tremendous amount of education. Maybe you've got a tremendous amount of positions you held at work. Maybe you've got a tremendous amount that you've accomplished and you say, yeah, I own these patents and I, I've started these businesses and I do all these things. And that's basically what Paul is saying. He's saying, but those things I count as loss for one primary priority that I want to pursue, that I may win Christ. That Christ would have the preeminence. That Christ would have the highest priority. That Christ would be first. That Christ would be above all, not my own accomplishments or my own ambitions. Paul is saying, listen, I'll stand up next to anybody here and we can talk about resumes. I mean, if there's anybody that could do that, it was Paul. But Paul says, all those things I just count as loss. I count them but dung, which is a pretty just gross way to think about it. But he says, I just count that all as trash. It's worthless in the eyes of a primary priority. Now, again, I'm not saying that having a job is trash or uh, taking care of your family is, is, is not worth having and all those types of things. But what Paul is saying is that those things were my priority. But they're no longer my priority. I'm willing to give all those things up. I'm willing to count those as lost if I can but win Christ. What are we willing to give up to win Christ? Are we willing to give up time to be in church? Are we willing to give up time to read the Bible? Are we willing uh, maybe to sacrifice financially? Are we willing to maybe not pursue a career because it would hinder our ability to serve the Lord? Would we, are we willing to, what are we willing to count as lost that we can win Christ? Paul says, I, that I might win Christ. That's what I'm pressing for. That's what I'm pursuing. And really, at the sacrifice of everything else, if I need to. <clears throat> Just over a, a chapter there, Colossians 1.18, Paul says, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul basically just said that my number one priority ought to be Jesus Christ. And so as I'm about my job, and as I'm about, uh, uh, for Paul, as he was about uh, uh, being a missionary and, and helping start these churches and do the things that Paul was doing, it was not all for his own selfish ambitions and endeavors to be able to build his resume. It was to win Christ and to make Christ first in his life. And hey, as we're building businesses, as we're working, as we're raising families, as we're uh, providing and, 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 and working through the life that God has given us, we ought to say all of this should be with the one priority in mind, which is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that I may win Him, that I may acknowledge Him, that I may see Him uh, through the things that I'm accomplishing and that I'm doing. Deuteronomy 4 says, but if, thou, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Boy, do you wanna, if you want to find God, all you got to do is seek Him. He's willing to be there. He's willing to be the priority. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. His priority was that Jesus would be the preeminence. Jesus would be first and foremost. Look what he says in verse number 20 as well. You can kind of skip some of the middle verses there that we'll go back to, but verse number 20 kind of carries on this thought. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's even able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul basically says this, where's our conversation? Our conversation now is in heaven. That's the idea of conversation isn't just words and speech. It's the idea of lifestyle or, 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 or what should our lifestyle reflect. He said, my perspective now is a perspective on the things that are eternal and not the things that are temporal. As we go about, you know, I think about this often. What is the purpose that I'm trying to bring about in raising my kids? Adam graduates this year. He, you know, we're thinking about what's the Lord got for him for college. And uh, it's not hard for me. It's hard for me as a dad not to sit down and think about, well, I want him to have a really good job and make some good money. You know, this society that he's going into, man, it's kind of crazy. I, you know, <clears throat> do I want to keep him sheltered? Do I want to do these different things? And, you know, you begin to really think about uh, uh, things from a perspective of, as a dad, how do, I, how do I make sure he's successful and what does success look like? And uh, I don't know that I have a perfect answer for that, but I have to come back to say, and I've had to do this even just recently where I had to say, Lord, 
if you have something specific for him, we need to be willing for that to be what he does. And, and that where he goes. And, that, and, and those things be what, what drive our desires and our pursuits is that he would find Christ in what he is doing and that Christ would be evident what he's doing and that we'd have an eternal perspective versus just the temporal. Same as for our own lives. <clears throat> what, what is our perspective on? Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Uh, Hebrews 3, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly co- uh, calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. How much do we consider him in what we do? There's a song that Sonia and Annabelle have sang around this time for Christmas called Consider Him or Consider Christ. And the whole idea is that as you're going around about everything that you do for Christmas, do you, what, what, how much time do you take to consider Christ and all that? And we've heard that preach, and, and <clears throat> I'm sure we're all conscious of that and, and mindful of that. But really the thought is, do we consider Christ in everything that we do? I mean, even just thinking about uh, what we taught the teens this morning around our tongue and controlling our tongue. Do I think on Christ when I'm about to speak and use my tongue? Do I think on Christ and consider uh, uh, His eternal purposes and, and eternal things and spiritual things as I uh, use my hands and my mind and my actions? Everything I do, do I have Christ in mind? Paul says that I might win Christ. That became his primary objective in life. Paul could have made a lot of money. He really could have. Paul could have walked into any synagogue and had a top teaching position. He could have been a high ruler, could have made a lot of money uh, being a leader among the Hebrews. He said, all that is loss for the priority of Christ, that I might win Christ. So again, as I think about this thought about pressing, how much do I press to make sure that Christ is the priority in what I'm doing each and every day? It doesn't have to be this elaborate thing. It's just simply, do I acknowledge Him in what I'm doing? Does He have a part in the decisions that I'm making? Does He play a part in and that I'm learning from His Word each and every day, and that I'm praying to Him and asking for His guidance and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's prodding, am I open to that and, and, and listening to that? It doesn't have to be some big plan, an elaborate, you know, fine, I'll give up everything here and just move to some other place and do this big elaborate. It just is wherever you're at. Does Christ have a part in it? And do you, are you fervent every day to make sure that He does? Paul said, the gospel was his primary uh, goal. You know, I, I've told pastor this a few times. I, the place I've been working at now, I've been there almost 19 years. And there's been many times throughout those 19 years that I've thought, why am I still with this company? <clears throat> Do I really want to stay with this company? I don't know why I really uh, am here. But I told pastor, I said, I, I, it came to a point where a few years ago I had to then decide Am I here because this is where God wants me to be here? And maybe there's something that God wants me to do while I'm here. And maybe that is to further the gospel in some way or another. And that became my focus. I said, that's going to have to be what drives me to keep being at this company because just the temporal things of this job just weren't weren't exciting. It just wasn't going to do it. But it didn't seem like God was opening doors anywhere else. So I said, fine, I'll stay here. But maybe I can just somehow further his gospel here. And I remember a few years ago, there was a lady that left, and uh, I had only worked with her for a few years, maybe, maybe about a year, year and a half, and uh, she had reported to me, and then she <clears throat> left, and she called me out of the blue and basically just said something to the effect of, you know, at my new job, someone shared the gospel with me, and she's like, me and my son got saved, and accept the Lord. And she said, I thought you would be the first person that would want to know that. And I thought, you know what? If that's the whole reason God kept me at that job was for even just one person, then maybe that was what God had planned. And uh, that I might win Christ. And I've not been perfect. I still have uh, irritations with the job and, you know, temporal thoughts towards it. But do we ask God to be a part of everything that we're doing? Paul said, my priority is that I would win Christ. Number two, his second pursuit. Look at verse number, uh, verses 9 through 11. He says this, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. In verse number nine, he says this, uh, this be found in him. 
and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. The idea of being found in him is the idea of that as I'm pursuing, I want to ultimately be found in his righteousness. I want the righteousness of God in my life. And we could spend all morning talking about uh, the righteousness that is of the flesh, that we think the fleshly actions that we take, and the righteousness. And we don't really have time to do that, but said, be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know, we could easily find a law, we have one here, or we could find the laws of society and we could adhere to them and claim to be righteous. But that righteousness is of the law and is temporal and is phony. But, but what Paul is saying is that there is a righteousness that exists that when I live by faith, when I pursue life through the lens of faith, that whatever God tells me to do, I'm just going to go ahead and take the steps to do that, that there is a righteousness that is of God that you cannot get by walking after the things of the world. There is a righteousness, there is a rightness to your life that God will give you as you are walking by faith that you will abstain from the things that you should abstain from. You'll avoid the temptations and sins you ought to when by faith you say, Okay, God, how do you want me to live? God, how do you want me to act? God, what do you want me to say in this situation? And so we, by faith, follow God. There is a righteousness that is only a God righteousness that we can pursue. And that's what Paul says, that's what I want to pursue. I don't care if all the people around me see me do all these great things and say, that guy is such a holy, righteous guy because all I did was uphold man's laws. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. I want God's righteousness. He said, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to press that I can be found in him, having my, but not having my own righteousness, but having the righteousness that is of God through faith. <clears throat> it's not easy <laughs> to live by faith. I wish I had like this perfect uh, recipe on how we live by faith. But quite simply, uh, if you were to study scripture, you study what Paul writes, you study what, what uh, Christ even himself gave in the gospels, the idea of walking by faith is just simply taking God at what he says and just doing it. Do I strive every day just to do what God gives me in his word to do? <clears throat> he says in verse 10 that I may know him. This, this righteousness that he gets by faith just causes him to know God more and more. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I desire to, to, to walk by faith and to to have this righteousness of God because it's going to give me a greater relationship of knowing Him and understanding Him. Do we know Christ more today than we did a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 20 years ago? Do we know Christ more today? Have we, have we grown in our faith? Have we, have we walked in faith and grown in this righteousness that comes by faith and this and, and, and knowing him and the power of his resurrection, have, do we know him more? Or is he really the same to us as he was just when we were a kid? Or five years ago, whatever it might be. <clears throat> his righteousness is, is much greater than the law. Provides much greater reward than what the law could give us. This relationship with him, this growing relationship and fellowship with him. Number three, he not only pursued the right priorities and pursued this righteousness that is of God, but he also pursued this a growth in Christ, just an overall growth. And again, we, we basically just said it, but look what he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Again, this phrase, I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and those things which are before. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, I pursue also just being a better Christian because I have not apprehended it by any means. I have not attained. I am not a perfect man. He says, either we're already perfect. The word perfect means complete. Paul admits, I'm not a complete person. I mean, we'd all, we'd all if we could today and we had to rank the, the best Christians of all history, of course, we'd probably put Paul there at the top and say, boy, what a man of God. 
What, what a great example. And he was a great example. And there's great things that the Lord allowed, inspired him to write for us to follow after. But Paul himself was honest to say, I am not attained. I have to keep following after the things of Christ. By which, this phrasing that he gives here, he says, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. Who pursued who first? Did you pursue Christ or did Christ pursue you? Christ pursued us. Uh, Christ went to that cross well before any of us were alive and even had an opportunity to know who he was or to pursue him. God's plan of redemption was well before mankind had any opportunity to pursue the things of God. God pursued us from the very beginning. From the moment he created Adam and Eve, he was pursuing fellowship with them. And when that fellowship broke, he pursued a restored fellowship. He has been pursuing. He has been desiring to apprehend us. Why? So that we can have fellowship with him, a restored relationship with him. Paul is saying this. Paul is saying, I follow after if that I may apprehend that. I want to apprehend that great close relationship. And it's not in the idea of that I need to work for a salvation. He's just saying that that is my motivation is that I can just get a piece and I can understand more of what Christ was willing to do for me. I want to strive and follow after the things that will allow me to look at what and apprehend those things that Christ apprehended me for, that I can understand His grace, His mercy, His sacrifice, His redemption for me. I want to understand those things even more because Christ first did it for me. <coughs> Paul said, I don't want to settle for past growth. He said, I'm not looking at the things from behind. I'm seeking forward under those things which are before. And it doesn't mean we don't look at past things and say, oh, I need to grow from that. Or, wow, look what God did and God blessed. Paul was just saying that my mindset is that the growth in the past is not enough. The things that maybe I apprehended of growth in Christ isn't enough. I want to follow after to keep growing and keep pursuing Christ. I want to be more and more uh, as Christ was for me. A couple more thoughts here this morning. <clears throat> A couple more pursuits that he gives us here. Look at verses uh, 14 and 15. We'll use this word again. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, you be otherwise minded. God shall reveal even this unto you. That word press again to pursue. What is he pursuing for? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, the end of verse 13, he says, reaching forth, Paul was pursuing with a, persever uh, a perseverance to him, to not quit, <clears throat> a not quit attitude. I press. I thought these were kind of interesting. Uh, Colonel Sanders, the founder of KFC, does anybody know how old he was when he first started pursuing this restaurant kind of entrepreneurial business? 65 years old. 65 years old, he got a Social Security check for only $105 and was mad. So instead of complaining about it, he did something. He thought restaurant owners would love his fried chicken recipe, use it, sales would increase, and he'd get a percentage of it. He drove around the country knocking on doors, sleeping in his car, wearing his white suit. <clears throat> he was told no. 1,009 times. He was told no 1,009 times before someone finally said yes. And then he obviously didn't even reap the benefits of what KFC ended up becoming as an organization <clears throat> from, from a profit perspective and from a growth perspective. He didn't even really get to, to see that, but he knocked on 1,009 businesses, doors, whatever, and was told no. And yet his business still came to fruition. Walt Disney and I'm not here to advocate for everything Disney. But the man who gave us Disney World and Mickey Mouse, his first animation company went bankrupt. He was fired by a news editor because he lacked imagination. Legend has it he was turned down 302 times before getting financing for creating Disney World. 302 times he was turned down. Yet he kept pursuing. Vincent Van Gogh. He only sold one painting while he was alive. He only sold one painting, and it was to a friend. Despite that, he kept painting and finishing over 800 pieces. Now everyone wants a Van Gogh. 
It is said that his most expensive painting, and I don't know how old this is, but was at $142 million in value. Here's a guy that in his lifetime sold one. Definitely didn't reap the benefits of his art and his paintings. And yet he kept doing it and painted over 800 pieces of art that now many of those are in museums or uh, very wealthy auctions and homes and whatever. You're not going to go buy a Van Gogh for $15 at a yard sale unless they don't know what they're selling. Those ones you keep. And, uh, but the thought is this, is that these are just temporal and worldly examples of people that said, no, I'm going to just keep pursuing. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep pressing until I get to the prize that I want to get. And that's what Paul's mentality is. I just keep reaching forth. I keep pressing on. I'm looking towards the goal that I have in mind. Uh, he says in 2 Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight, not as one that beateth the air. He says, I just, I just keep moving about this thing. God has called me to evangelize. God has called me to start churches. God has called me to share the gospel. And he says, I'm just going to keep fighting on until one day I stand before my Savior and finish my course. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses, he says in, uh, to Timothy. <coughs> to press on. Again, what is Paul pursuing here? Paul says, I want to pursue Christ above all things, that he has the priority. I want to pursue the righteousness of God, that his righteousness would, uh, would be over me. I want to pursue with perseverance. I want to just keep fighting. I want to keep going. I don't want to give up. And then lastly here, just real quick, these last, the next couple verses, just a thought here of he pursued the idea of, of lifting up his fellow believers. He desired that others would walk as he walked, that others would follow his example. He said there in verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which also walk so, ye at, so as ye have us for an example. Paul says this, I also do this so that those that are coming behind and those that I'm working alongside of have an example that would cause them to want to pursue after the things of Christ. I just thought, you know, do we have that in mind? <clears throat> are there people that we're trying to bring alongside and say, I want to show you Christ. I want to, I want to, I want to pursue helping other believers grow up and be encouraged in the things of the Lord. I want to see them walk in the things of Christ as we are trying to walk. Do our kids walk uh, in the things of Christ? Do they, do they see us as an example for that? Paul said, follow the same rule, mind the same thing. And you could read several other scriptures, Romans 14, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. 1 Thessalonians 5, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul is just constantly thinking about others. And his whole pursuit of this pressing towards the things of Christ, he wants to bring others alongside of that they may be saved and that others may, be, <clears throat> may grow up in the things of the Lord. What are we pressing towards? These pursuits that Paul talks about here, <clears throat> pursuing the things of Christ, pursuing that he has the priority, pursuing that he has the preeminence. We'll close just back with Louis Zamperini. Again, what a... What a Crazy, crazy uh, life this young man endured <clears throat> there in this uh, as a POW and through all of these uh, beatings and torture uh, things and <clears throat> just you could give a lot more detail and probably paint a much even more graphic picture. But what's interesting <clears throat> is that when he first came home, of course, unfortunately, the book and the movie that came out. <clears throat> Maybe don't even depict this as much as, as, as he would say he desired. Uh, but when he came home, uh, he was not an unbroken man, as the book would say. When he was there, he was relentless to survive. He was relentless to persevere. He was relentless to pursue getting out of that camp. But when he came home, he was really a broken man inside. He resorted to alcoholism. He resorted to a whole lot of anger issues. In fact, it got so bad to the point where his wife was ready to divorce him. 
uh, just really had a lot of problems in his life. He was not uh, just some perfect role model of society that endured all these things and somehow came out, as the book would say, as unbroken. He was definitely a broken person. <clears throat> and the story of his life goes on that uh, Billy Graham, and again, I won't advocate for everything of Billy Graham, but I will say I think Billy Graham's early ministries and even for a good amount of his ministry uh, was very, very gospel-focused. And I do believe people uh, legitimately accepted Christ through his ministry. Um, <clears throat> and one of them was, was Lewis's wife. Billy Graham came to their area, and, and his wife said, I don't, I don't know what's going on in our marriage. We're getting a divorce. Everything's falling apart. So she went to this revival meeting that Billy Graham was preaching at, and Billy Graham gave an invitation for people to be saved. And she came forward, and she dealt with, met with someone, and they dealt with her, and she accepted Jesus Christ. And she came back home, and she came to Lewis, and she said, um, <clears throat> I'm not going to get a divorce. And he's like, oh, that's great news. And she said, yeah, because I've accepted the Lord. And she tried to invite him, and he at first was very, very angry about it and resilient and said no, but on one of the nights... A couple nights later, he, he said, fine, I'll just go to the service with you. And in that service, the Spirit of God impressed upon Louis Zamperini, and he went forward and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And again, like the life of Paul, you see someone who pressed in a totally temporal manner. Uh, you know, everything was about just surviving life and surviving through these terrible times, and it was an amazing story of survival through that. You don't want to discount that. But... When it came time for them to write books and to make these movies, they actually talked to Louis Zamperini. And he said, I want to be very clear in there that I was not an unbroken person. I had a lot of problems and I had a lot of issues. And there was one thing that caused me to become unbroken, and that was Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he begged for them to make sure that that was put in the movie. And unfortunately, the movie decided to not make that a very big focal point of the movie. But he said, of all the things he endured, of all the things that he persevered, of all the things that he overcame, that he could brag about, he could talk about, he could say, I'm the manliest man of men, and I did all these things. He, of all, the one thing that he wanted to press about now was the gospel. The one thing that he wanted to make known was what the gospel of Jesus Christ did for him. The one thing that he wanted to be clear as people talked about him was make sure you share what happened at that Billy Graham crusade. Make sure that people know that, that Billy Graham preached and that I accepted Jesus Christ. And, and that's what he wanted people to know in his life because that's now what the priority was. That's what, for him, was what he wanted to be able to share with people that it was to win Christ at this point. And forget winning life through the POWs and all that. Okay, what's more important now is that Christ is the preeminence. And that's what he desired. And unfortunately, the book and the movie didn't quite portray that as he had desired. But when you listen to some of the interviews and things that he did, that's what he desired, is that Christ would be made known. What do we press towards today? <clears throat> what are we pressing for? Do we want to make Christ known at all costs? What are we willing to sacrifice for that? Do we seek his righteousness? Do we seek... To persevere, as Paul says, I press towards that mark. Are we relentless and energized to just grow in the things of Christ? And I pray that we would do that and that we would desire that in our life.